Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil and my guest today is Andrew Romanella. So if you've been paying attention, I actually had Andrew's father on very recently. The episode should be out, so it's probably one or two back. So go, definitely go check that out. But Andrew is the assistant baseball coach and recruiting coordinator at Fairleigh Dickinson University. He's also a talk, a radio talk show host, The Rome Show, which is pretty damn cool. So he's also uh, the SID at Fairleigh Dickinson. Don't want to leave that part out because that's a lot of work too. Uh, Andrew was an absolute blast to get to talk to, chat with, understand what he does, how he does it. We got to talk a lot about baseball because baseball is my favorite. So that was a lot of fun. So yeah, enjoy the heck out of this conversation with Andrew Romanella. Hello and welcome to the For the Love of Sports podcast, where we talk about business and we talk about sports and we talk about how much we love all of it. My name is Michael Raziel. Today, my guest is Andrew Romanella. If that last name sounds familiar, I might have talked to uh, someone that looks a couple years his senior yesterday, uh, give or take. He is the assistant baseball coach, recruiting coordinator, and SID at Fairleigh Dickinson University. He's also a radio talk show host of The Rome Show. Andrew, how you doing today, man? Michael, thanks for having me on. I'm doing fantastic. Anytime I get a chance to talk sports, I'm a happy person. It's a good day, man, right? I mean, what what more could we ask for in this weird, you know, weird world of no sports? We're still having the conversations. We're still talking about it. Seems like everything's trickling back soon. Maybe we'll talk about the MLB a little later in this conversation because that's a little too negative for me right now. But I want to spend some time talking about you, man. So first question I have for everybody, Andrew, on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? <laughs> Oh, man, I feel like that is definitely a loaded question. Um, But to give you my shortened answer, I love the life lessons and the teaching that comes from sports. I just think that at the simplest of form, you learn so much about life through your successes and your failures in sports. You learn about being a team player. You learn who you are as an individual. There's just so much growth and learning in sports that on top of it, the fun that comes with sports, whether that's playing it or watching it, seems to be a bonus to me. So if I can put those three categories together um, and have something that I love to do on a daily basis, uh, sports is it. It doesn't get any better than that, right? You're learning, you're having fun, you're enjoying yourself, you're staying active in certain situations. Uh, you know, it, it is a blast. And, and you bring up you bring up the fact that, you know, there's these life lessons that come along the way. And one thing I think that's interesting, especially when it comes to sports, is that you're kind of accelerating that process. Like where else in your, your I guess, youth do you really learn those failures and successes at, I don't know if it's a high level, let's say, I don't know, FRB baseball when I was 12 years old wasn't the highest level. But to me, it was huge, right? So uh, especially when you're younger, I think it's really interesting how you can kind of accelerate that process and learn those lessons a lot quicker if you go through sports. And I know you're a baseball player, you're a baseball coach. Do you remember that at a young age, you know, five, six, maybe not five or six, but let's say eight, nine, 10, uh, let's, let's let our brains develop a little bit more eight, nine, 10. Do you remember kind of the highs and lows of winning and of losing from, from, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we'll say. Absolutely. Like I could remember things from when I was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, as if I was coaching a baseball game for FDU a month ago. 
those lessons, I feel like because those lessons when you're younger turn into who you want to become and what you want out of sports, that it's only right that it stays in your foundation. And for me, which is funny because you referenced my father, all of those memories as a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old, whatever those lessons were, they, they generally came out of my father's mouth because he was both my biggest fan and my biggest critic. So I can remember to this day, Michael, and I'll tell you one specific story. And this is a great one. It's, it's real short and it's quick. I was 13 years old. We were living in Alpharetta, Georgia, and I played a baseball game, travel baseball game when I was in eighth grade. And this was the first time I ever really had a girlfriend. And she came to the game. And I guess I was a little too excited that my girlfriend came to the game and not necessarily about my baseball playing. Well, long story short, my car ride home with my father was not too pleasant, but there was a lesson in there that sticks with me to this day. And it's something that he preaches in business and I preach in sports and it's your brand. And his point was the last name Romanella is your brand. It's our brand. It's what we represent as our family. So every day you step on the baseball field or you have the chance to put that name on the back of a Jersey, you have to represent it with respect and you have to do things the right way. Well, I've thought about that probably every day of my life. When I think about making a decision to maybe not put as much effort into a work project as I should, or I want to be like every human being a little lazy and maybe don't want to get something done at that moment in time. I just think back to my father talking about building my own personal brand and how the last name is the reflection of our family and what I do matters. So I think about that. And so for me, that 13 year old conversation, which at the time felt like, oh my God, my dad's so mad at me. I played so poor was actually one of the best lessons he ever taught me. And you know what? It comes back to the original point of the failures turning into successes, which was that was a failed day for me that turned into a lifelong success. Absolutely. And it's not a failure, right? Because you learned from it. That, In my opinion, the only way you fail is if you quit or if you stop. Um, And I've quit a lot of things in my life. Don't (laughs) worry. I will not hold back when I be honest with that. But I think just the opportunity. Also, shout out to your dad. Well ahead of the curve teaching a 13-year-old about personal (laughs) branding. I love that. That is... Right. <laughs> Good stuff. I talked to him yesterday. He didn't bring that up, but man, he's, uh, he's well ahead of the game there. But um, no, I mean, we all remember that first game our boyfriend or girlfriend went to, right? And you're all <laughs> nervous and you're looking over, but you're trying not to look over. And, you know, we all did that. So I can see where you're coming from. Maybe not your best showing, but there's a lesson that came from it. Again, I don't think you failed at it. Uh, you obviously learned something from it, it became a huge success. And now it's something that you're able to utilize moving forward. As you said, you think about it every day. And I think that's the most important part. Playing sports at a young age will help you learn these lessons. And the most important thing you can do is utilize them in the future. That's all you need to do. If you just remember them and take advantage of them, of course, we're going to slip up from time to time. That's how it works. We're human. Forgive yourself and move forward. And again, there's no such thing as failure. There's only lessons that you can learn, which I think is the most important part. So I love that. So what? Uh, tell me more. Let's talk a little bit more about your baseball career. I mean, obviously, I had to rep my Mets today. Love I had to it. bring them on the show. Your dad and I spoke a little bit about the Mets uh, yesterday as well. So I hope everyone enjoys that. But what, you know, growing up, why was it baseball? And I guess at what point did you realize like, hey, I guess I'm a little more got a little more juice when it comes to this game. Well, it's actually an interesting story. And um, LGM, by the way, huge Mets fan. So that fires me up. I actually spent um, my entire childhood, you could say, until I was about 17 years old, focusing majority on ice hockey. Um, my, My brother and I both played ice hockey and we played baseball. That was our whole entire life. And growing up, you know, go back to the age six or seven when I learned how to skate to the age of 17, my whole life was centered around trying to be a college hockey player, trying to play hockey, 
believing that I was a better hockey player than a baseball player. I got to high school. Uh, I went to a private boarding school in Washington, Connecticut called the Gunnery School. And my brother and I both went there for hopes of getting better opportunities to play college hockey. And over my time there, I met a man named Jeff Trundy, who has been a Cape Cod baseball league coach for over 20 years. And Jeff is essentially my second father. And he really showed me my ability in baseball and the things that I could probably accomplish, accomplish in college at, in the game of baseball as opposed to hockey. It was tough, but as a junior in high school, having to come to the realization that you're not as good as a sport as you thought you were for the last 11 or 12 years, but there's an opportunity in another sport which you're starting to realize you really love, and it just took this one individual, Jeff, to pull it out of me. And kind of from that summer going into my senior year of high school, so that was uh, 2008, um, I just kind of picked up baseball a little bit deeper. I started working at it. I started going to college clinics. I really started to train for it, and I got an opportunity to play in college. And from there, you know, the rest is kind of history. I was never a professional baseball player. Um, I don't believe that was ever going to be the case. That wasn't necessarily the goal for me. Was I a typical boy and I gave it a chance? Sure. You have to. It's life. You only get one opportunity at it. And I'm only 22 graduating college once. But the transition from hockey to baseball, my junior to senior year of high school, kind of it really, Michael, changed my life because I wouldn't be sitting here as a baseball coach. And I don't think I'd be sitting here as a sports information director had I not made that decision. More importantly, you wouldn't be sitting here with me right now. Absolutely. Right? That's <laughs> like, that's the most, no, I'm kidding, of course. And that is awesome. Shout out, Jeff. Um, you know, it, it is usually, there's always that one person that, you know, of course, as we were talking about, your dad's been a huge influence on you your whole life. And he kind of led you down these this one path. And, you know, Jeff was able to come along and say, all right, well, here's the fork in the road. Let's turn left. Let's see what happens and let's keep going. And obviously, as you said, it, it turned out. And so did you, did you get drafted? Did you get, did you play independent ball? Did you do anything like that? So after I graduated college, I went from a division three program. I transferred to a division two program. We had a lot of success my senior year. I was a part-time player. I wasn't a full-time starter. And after that, there's a local independent team that we played our home games at. So I went to a few tryouts. I had known their scouting director. He let me come to a few tryouts. So one day I'm at a tryout, Michael, this is my, my favorite story of all time. And I'm in the outfield and the head scout for the Rockland Boulders, they're now the New York Boulders, comes out and says, the guy that came to throw BP can't throw BP. Can anyone out here throw BP? Well, I had just been hired at Raritan Valley four days earlier as the head baseball coach. And I said, you know what? I'm a college baseball coach. I need to know how to throw BP. I can throw BP. And just thinking like, if I just get my face in front of these people, they'll mm -hmm. remember who I am. Well, I threw the best BP of my life. I threw, I think, 350 or 400 straight pitches. I might have thrown two balls. And the manager of the team, who is now a huge mentor to me to this day, walked up and said, Andrew, you're never going to play professional baseball. But damn, can you throw BP? Would you be willing to come and throw to the professional team next week? I'm like, oh my God, like if it's not in playing the game, I mm -hmm. want to be involved in the professional game. I would love to come. Well, that led to me uh, getting an opportunity to be their bench coach for the final three weeks of that season. And then it led to me being there and a part of that organization for the next two and a half years. Um, I, I've bench coached over 200 games in professional baseball. I've also been an account sales executive at the professional baseball level. I've been a BP thrower. I've been a bullpen catcher at the professional baseball level, a first base coach. I had to coach third base when our manager got kicked out. So um, 
all in all, it led to having a professional baseball career and not in playing, but just merely simply by saying, yeah, I could do something that I, I don't know if I can actually do. Um, it turned into a professional coaching career, and that's actually been pretty special. So no draft, uh, no baseball playing contract, but I couldn't be more proud of the opportunity to have gotten there and been able to be a part of the professional game. Hey, man, you're getting paid to uh, to hang out, right? talk about <laughs> baseball, enjoy baseball, watch baseball. I, could, I know there's a lot of work involved, too, but... It's a little bit cooler when you get to do all those other things on yeah. top of it, man. And so you know kudos what's... and congratulations. And, and you played in the Can-Am League, right? So the teams you played that were away were in Canada. So it was very French speaking. So the first time you're standing out there and they're talking trash to you in French Canadian, you're sitting there, Michael, and you're like, man, did I make the right decision? <laughs> <laughs> was college baseball the better idea? So yeah, it, it's pretty funny when you get there and you're like, oh, this is real. Like they actually talk trash to the other team and like, this is pretty cool. So yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. That is awesome, man. And so, I mean, that is, that is a great story. I really do like that story. <laughs> that is pretty damn funny. And so um, if we can take a step back in time, if I'm not mistaken, you're, f- you, you also started doing radio shows uh, you were an intern in a couple places. You worked. Um, you had a show, if I'm not mistaken. So, what? Where did this love of sports talk radio come from? And how? I mean, it's it's a pretty easy one, but how were you able to weave it into your your baseball coaching and baseball playing career? So, my mother has always told me that I have the gift for gab, right? Mm-hmm. And I absolutely identify myself as a talker. So. Being in a communications realm was always something that was most likely going to suit me. My sister is an unbelievably successful television producer. She has two daytime Emmy awards, which is unbelievably impressive. Shout out. Right? She went to Seton Hall University and went through their communications department there. So through all of that, through my love for sports, you know, through going through the college process, you kind of start to figure out, okay, I'm going to be in communications. I want it to be involved in sports. Now what version? The, the running joke in my family is that I have a face for radio. So I have the gift for gab, but I have the face for radio. As you understand, that means don't put them on TV, right? Whether it's a joke or whether it's not, I'll leave that for the people to decide. But it really actually made me look into radio not as a joke turned into realistic. And I did a radio show at the gunnery when I was in high school. And then my freshman year of college, I signed up for a radio class where Every Monday, I was able to host my own radio show for an hour in a live studio with live callers, the whole nine. And after that class, I could honestly tell you that like that was the, okay, this is where I want to be. And then when it came to my career, my brother, and as you could tell, the Romanelles are very family oriented and in a very positive way, we have a lot of positive effects on each other. And my brother was a huge effect on why I started coaching. He was coaching college hockey. I saw the love and the passion he had for it. It just fired me up. It really made me want to do it. But I knew it'd be a difficult sell to my family. Coaching, as opposed to what they believed I really had a, an opportunity at, which was being mm-hmm. on the radio, um, it was a really tough mix. So I told myself I wanted to do this. I did a lot of research, and I found, as you might know, a lot of the primetime people on the radio and TV now have a background in either coaching or playing the sport. So I felt like I could hit both dreams at one time. I could be a successful college baseball coach. I could find a way to make this baseball coaching thing work. And in that same breath, build on the background a a radio career in any way, shape, or form that could be. So through the colleges that I went through, through the internships I had at 103.5 KTU in New York City, and then the world of podcasts, I was able to coach 
and then on the side, be able to work towards the radio dream, which eventually, Michael, I hope my 15 or 20 year coaching baseball career turns into another 15 or 20 year radio career. I hope, I hope they're both a hundred years long. How's that? That'd, that's be, cool. I'd, that'd I'm, be cool. I'm down right? with it. <laughs> Get to do what you love it. every day uh, for as long as you want. I think that would be fantastic. And, and so, okay, now we're, we're going to quit in Tarantino this a little bit. We're going to sure. like back and forth, John Travolta, you know, like we're going to Bruce Willis a little bit. So, you know, you, you brought up the RVCC coaching job, uh, you know, head coaching job of a, a college is usually not, you know, the first gig. So where were some of those first, um, where were some of those first coaching coaching jobs that you had where you were able to kind of get your feet wet and really understand exactly what you're getting yourself into summer uh that i graduated college i coached for a team called the bayside yankees which is out of queens new york and they travel a lot in the five boroughs and they are a historically great organization guys like sunny gray have have pitched there guys like i think it's i think david price had spent the summer there what they do is their best team takes nationally from different individual players, mm-hmm. and then they go to national tournaments and compete. So I got an opportunity to coach their 14U team with like one of my best buddies that I played college baseball with. So I took that opportunity and I loved it. It really did hit, okay, I want to do this. So then I applied to um, a place called Zone Sports Academy, which is legitimately 10 down the minutes, mm-hmm. 10 minutes down the road from Raritan Valley. Yep. And I got an opportunity to do lessons and kind of be an all-around type of coach there in a part-time role. That part-time role turned into me being there for three and a half years. I got social media experience, all that stuff. So while I was there, uh, probably about six months after I started, um, I saw Raritan Valley's uh, head coaching position was available. I said, if there's any place that would take a shot on it, it's a, it's a junior college with a bad record with a young athletic director, which they had at the time, who's now the athletic director at the College of New Jersey. And maybe a kid that needs to, is going to bring energy and is a part of a travel organization 10 minutes down the road. I got an interview. I, on Thursday, Raritan Valley called me. I was 23 years old, Michael. They called me and they said, um, we want to hire you as our head baseball coach. Can you come in tomorrow to do the paperwork? And I said, no, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And they were like, no, no, no. You can come in tomorrow. I said, Miss Martino, the athletic director, I said, I don't want you to give this job to anyone else. I'll be there in 20 minutes. So I drove in 20 minutes later. I signed the head coaching paperwork and they gave, they took a shot on a 23-year-old with absolutely zero college coaching experience. I got super lucky. I in no way, shape, or form was prepared to do that job, but it actually was the best thing that ever happened. It really right. was for my career and the learning. Michael, I can't even tell you the losing and failure, which we are not going to label as those things, that turned into learning was off the charts. And it just fired me up to learn you were an Araran Valley alum because I still have a lot of pride for that place. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Uh, RVCC, I was there for two years. I don't think we our times overlapped, unfortunately, but it was uh, it's it's a good school, it's good people. Had a lot of fun when I was there. What I think is the most important part. But I just think it's really cool that you were able to parlay, you know, a fourteen U job. And, you know, obviously, you know, you had some time there and you went to Zones Academy, as you said, Zones Sports Academy. Again, Bridgewater, New Jersey. I'm sitting here in Somerville right now, so it's Love not it. too far from where I am. And with that, you know, as you said, just I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in coincidence, but stars did align and it did allow you. As you said, it was they had a young athletic director. Their their record was terrible. And, you know, how much further, how much more down could they go? Let's take a shot. Let's take a, guy, a shot on a guy with some energy. What was it like at 23, though? You're talking to 
20 year olds, right? Like you legitimately probably could have been on the team. So how, how did you handle that aspect? Of course, you know, before some of these places, you're a little bit older, you know, the 14 U team, you're in your twenties at that point. All right. You know, when I remember when I was 14 and 21 was like the oldest person in the world. Right. (laughs) So what was it like at 23, 24, when you're talking to 18, 19, 20 year olds and trying to get that point and that message across as their superior, but in reality, you know, you could probably then go like grab a beer with, you know, as long as they were 21, go grab a beer with them later on in the day. Absolutely. And it was the hardest challenge I faced with the weeks leading up to what I was going to do with that job, with that first meeting. I thought about that every night before that first meeting. And I went with this philosophy. Now I'll preface this by saying, whether I was right or wrong in this philosophy, I don't know. I don't. I think 50% of it was right and 50% of it was wrong, but either way it worked. And it also helped me get to the type of coach I am today, which was huge. And that philosophy was be a really mean person for lack of better words. Don't allow them to think anything disrespectful about you because you're not going to open that can of worms. Almost make it so that Not that they don't like you, but they love everything that you're going to bring to the program, but they're really skeptical about the discipline that you're going to bring and how you're going to treat those scenarios. So I came in hard. I mean, like, you know, if you miss a practice, like you're just really hard because I felt that if I did that, I could always scale it back. And Mm -hmm. in the 30 minutes that we've probably talked, the 20 on the show and the 10 before the show, you've probably learned that it's hard for me to even exemplify a mean person. Mm -hmm. So it was going to be easy for me to show my true personality to them. If I came out hard, I felt like it would be easier to close that gap between he graduated college 12 minutes ago and I'm in college for my second year. And it worked. Now, I think it probably turned me to an angrier coach than I should have been at times, maybe getting kicked out of games that I should have never been getting kicked out of doing things that were a little kind of ridiculous. And you look back and you're like, wow, I was crazy. But the concept helped me gain that respect. And then honestly, Michael, after the first two or three weeks where I established the guidelines, we went through the first bunch of practices. I showed them that I wasn't messing around. It was super simple to be able to gain that respect. Then the goal was how do I upkeep the respect? And that was even almost a bigger struggle because then you're like, okay, I'm showing my true personality, but you know what? This kid just did show up five minutes late. And I said at the beginning of this semester, you're not going to start if you show up five minutes late and you're a starter. You're not going to show up to the game if it's your second offense. And you know what? I I pulled my best player. He was our best pitcher. He was our best fielder. We had 14 players on our roster my first year. And he started the game. He made two hours at second base. He was absolutely not locked in. And I pulled him in the top of the first inning of a doubleheader. And the kids looked at me like I had nine heads. They're like, all right, we only have 14 players. You just pulled our best player in the top of the first inning. And now we only have 13 left. And I looked at him and I said, if you're not here to put the best you can on the field today, I don't care how many players we have. You're going to sit on the bench and you're going to cheer your teammates on. And you're going to watch them put that effort out there. And after that moment, I never lost any respect from those players again. So those two things combined – really. And it was hard, dude, because I'm mm-hmm. such a nice person. Yeah. And I, at least I believe that, you know, and yeah. I try to be. So to, to kind of put that mean front on was difficult, but it worked and it gained that respect. And I am to this day, Michael, I had eight kids graduate for me from Raritan Valley in my two years there. And I can honestly tell you that in the last two months, I've talked to every single one of them. 
And every single kid that was on those two years worth of rosters, I probably still communicate with to this day, which is kind of more important to me than any winning or losing we did. Absolutely. Making sure that you're a part of their lives. I mean, you're a coach and you know, you're a teacher, right? You're, you're trying to help them as, as we all say. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very evident. I, I think more so in football, you hear it, but you know, you're trying to coach men. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to help them be better men and better players, you know? So if you can succeed at both of those, you hit the jackpot. If you can Absolutely. at least make them better people, I think that's the most important part, as you said, and staying in contact and staying in connection with them and really being able to affect that <laughs> and see what you've been able to do for you know a good portion of their life now which i think is very important and yeah you don't really seem like a mean guy i'm not gonna lie to you here so it probably was and it doesn't sound maybe mean is 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 the word you choose to use it sounds strict it sounds like you're a very strict coach which is fine again because as you said you could scale back now with that i mean what what were some of the successes that you did have as we were talking about before the the record wasn't great at rvcc again when i was there i don't remember too much hearing too much about the baseball team all that you know i remember seeing them a couple times and that's about it so what were some of the successes you had there over a couple years and what what are the lessons you learned that you were able to take moving forward because the best way to learn is to teach right 100 percent. the the mo the, the successes i'll start with were really simple. The freshmen that I inherited, there were seven freshmen, and then I inherited a sophomore that was on track to graduate that year. That sophomore graduated, and all seven freshmen that I had inherited when I started graduated with their associate's degree at Raritan Valley. So for me, that was the first and that was the most important thing. These guys need to be graduating and they need to be going on to get their four-year degree. Whether they play baseball after that's a whole nother conversation. But that, that started it. And then the, the school uh, as a whole, from an athletic standpoint, needed a revamp. So I was a part of building the entire warning track from home plate all the way around the field. I was in charge of building the entire batting cage, a 70-foot batting cage, 40 feet high, uh, with my assistant baseball coach and, and the now current athletic director, actually. Um, I was in charge of redoing the entire infield, the entire mound, including digging it all the way down to the ground and building it back up. All of home plate leveling, we uh, I saw oversaw them bring in new brand new dugouts, which exist there today um, with while I was there and a whole bunch of other stuff. And none of that had to do with baseball. It was just really cool to see the program. We implemented mm -hmm. a, we, we fundraised over twenty thousand dollars in my two years there. We implemented for the first time and I don't know how long, if ever, a full strength and conditioning program that was followed by our players. And we actually had academic standards. Um, we had study halls, junior colleges that have study halls. I don't know how much that exists. You know, the athletes might be different. So those things off the field were huge on the field. It was simple. We won three games the year before we won five. My first year, we won seven or eight. My second year to me, that was all I needed to see. We competed in every single game possible. That was the most important thing. And you know what? The last game of the year, my first year, we were four and 22 going into the last game. And Middlesex Community College was 18 and 18. And CJ Mooney, their head coach, is still my friend to this day. He's still their head coach. CJ was telling me before the game, hey, we need to win this. And we're in the playoffs for the first time in my, ten my tenure here. Well, Mike, we went out and beat them like 17 to 6 or something crazy like that. And to me, that was the single best moment of my two years there. Because for us to be 4 and 22 going into our 27th game and our last game of the year, 
with only 14 players on our roster. And for our guys to still care that much and have that much fun on the baseball field and win and knock somebody out of the playoffs, to me, that was huge. And I look back and in my second year, we recruited eight kids. After my first year, we brought in eight kids. And after my second year, going into my third year before I left, we had 11 kids coming in. So there was going to be 19 total coming in. So over the course of the two years, when I look back on that body of work, those are some of the things I look back on and say to myself, wow. And the biggest lesson I learned was relax. Winning's not everything, man. Mm -hmm. You know, in those two years, even though I talked to you about how we only won 13 games in two years, that's because now I realize it didn't matter. Then it was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm head coaching a team with only three wins. We've lost 10 in a row, but that wasn't what it was about. What it was about was the fact that from day one on in September 1st to May 1st, when we played that last game against Middlesex, we got better as individuals, as students, as teammates, and then as baseball players, and mm -hmm. then as a baseball team. And that's why I look at it and I go, Okay, when I learned how to relax, that's when my teams played better. And that's when I got the most out of these kids. Because you have to remember, 18 to 22, there's still a lot of kid inside of you. And there has to be that give and take from the coach. So in one word, and, and it's an Aaron Rodgerism, right? Relax, R-E-L-A-X. He said it to Packers Nation. And it's true. Sometimes when you just think about that one singular word, you realize a lot about how you can improve. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very important. And, and, you know, as you said, at the time, it's one thing, but now being able to look back on it and understand, I, I do understand in the moment though, right? I mean, you're a head coach, like what's the number one thing you have to do? You have to win. win that's how you right. keep your job. So in, in the moment, I can understand it's a little difficult to relax, but as you said, now, as you've grown in your career as a person, you can understand it's like, all right, winning is not everything. Of course you want to keep your job. And of course, you're going to have to do something to do that. And normally it comes down to winning, but graduation rate is very important, especially in college sports and understanding those aspects of it. So man, I'm just so glad we got to talk about RVCC and baseball team. <laughs> I'm literally like 15 minutes from there right now. I love um, it. Went there for two years, moved on to Rutgers and you honestly, after a couple of years, you kind of got your associate's degree in coaching there, huh? Now yeah. that I put two and two together, right? <laughs> so after, after a couple of years at RVCC, you did move on. Uh, let me make sure I have this correct college of Mount St. Vincent, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So this is a four-year school now? Yes, sir. Okay. So what was that like? You're essentially following the path of your students, right? You're following the path of the players on your team. You went to a, a school for two years. You learned a lot about something. In this case, it's head coaching a baseball team. And now you're moving on to that four-year school. After being now at a couple different four-year schools, other than the scale how much is really different from the JUCO level to, you know, the division two, the division three, division one level? Well, I can tell you there's two huge differences. The first is at the JUCO level, you have way more opportunity to be with your players. For mm -hmm. example, I'm allowed from September 1st when the semester starts, let's say that's the start date till November 15th when Thanksgiving break essentially hits. I'm allowed to practice with my players four days a week at the junior college level. Mm -hmm. I can do teams. I can do individuals. And in the fall, I'm allowed up to 17 dates of competition at the division two junior college level. So I can schedule up to that many games. The second thing that's so crazy and different is at the D one and D two junior college level, you can offer athletic money to come play at the school. So at rare and Valley, mm -hmm. I had X amount of dollars I could distribute. And I had one full ride granted by the president of Raritan Valley that I could give to a freshman and to a sophomore, one in each class. Mm -hmm. So those two things 
present a huge difference when you think about junior college athletics compared to NCAA, because if you look at the D1, D2 NCAA model, sounds kind of the same, doesn't it? So it's the difference comes in the D3 model. The D2, D1, JUCO, and NCAA, they almost line up together, Mm -hmm. right? But it's the D3 difference that when you're talking to a JUCO kid that just got athletic money from the D2 he went to for two years in Raritan Valley to, hey, you should go to TCNJ, dude. It's a great academic opportunity. It's a great athletic opportunity. Their baseball program is great. But there is an underlying factor there, which is, well, I can't get athletic money to go there. And there's Mm -hmm. a pride thing there for these kids. So that is probably the hardest thing that you have to maneuver from that transition. If you have a kid... That's a D1 or D2 NCAA baseball player. The, the transition seamless because the process is legitimately exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the D3 level, that's when you see the biggest difference because of those opportunities. And the last thing I'll say is junior college baseball is unbelievably good. And what it's turned into is a lot of kids that don't want to go to a four-year school and maybe try and get drafted after a year of college or two years of college instead of waiting till they're 21 or their junior year the junior college level has really gotten there. And specifically you talk about schools in New Jersey, like Brookdale community college and they're at the D three level. So they can't even give out athletic money. Mm -hmm. They're national, national power. Mercer community college. My brother played there. Unbelievable. Some of the worst games I've ever coached against in my entire life. Mercer, but were you there? I'm sorry to cut you off. Were you there when Keith Heath was there? Yes. Heath Fillmeyer, he now plays yes. for the Royals. Yes. Uh, every time he's on, my brother makes sure he's like, all right, we yeah. got to watch Heath today because he played with the dude for a year, which was awesome. And then he gets drafted, and I don't remember, like relatively cool. high round. And now he's doing pretty well in the majors, but I, I'm, I apologize. That well, no, and, and on that point, and, and it finishes the whole point is <clears throat> with Mercer, we'll take that for example, mm-hmm. they were so good and they built their program up so much at the junior college level that two things happened. Kids were denying four-year division three schools and even division two schools to go to Mercer. And then on top of that, when they played schools like us at Raritan Valley at the time, they wouldn't even bring some of their players. They wouldn't even dress some of their best players. We would lose by 10 runs to their, their backups. And that's when it hit me, Michael. I'm like, oh my God, this level is really good mm-hmm. because if they can bring their 12th through 25th best player and beat us 15 to five. I can't imagine what numbers one through Mm -hmm. 12 are. And that kind of gives you the picture of junior college. And could it be considered the wild, wild West? Maybe. Yeah. But at the same time, it's done a really good job of mirroring what a lot of NCAA baseball is like, which makes the transition easier for kids. It is. Baseball is very weird and how like the draft works and you can come out of high school but then you if you don't then you have to stay a couple years and yeah it just kind of leads to as you said that that wild west mentality almost of those juco schools i know i mean if i'm not mistaken jackson state or something there's a couple down in florida that are just just absolute powerhouses that could crush regular division one schools just because they get these kids they they pretty much i don't want to say sell them on the dream but they essentially sell them on the dream. You come here for two years, then you're going to get drafted. You're going to make money quicker. You're not going to have to go to a four-year school and sit behind some dude for a year or two, then get your two years of playing. Absolutely. So, as you're right, there's a little Wild West mentality in there, but it's, hey, man, I'm all for good baseball. And unfortunately, Absolutely. we're starting to see some bad stuff with baseball. We might touch upon that a little bit later. But so you move, you go from uh, College of St. Vincent, you move to then St. Thomas Aquinas College. So yep. you actually have been there for a little while. Again, we're quitting Tarantinoing this. I back love and it. Forth, back and forth. You start there uh, doing basketball, if I'm not mistaken, back in sure. like 2012, right? Yeah. So St. Thomas yeah. Aquinas College is actually where I transferred to and I finished my bachelor's degree in communications. Okay. okay. So I graduated there in 2013 in that, that May of 2013. 
won the first conference championship in school history, which was super cool. Um, that led to six straight NCAA appearances for the program, including the year I came back as a coach. There we go. And so at, in 2013, our assistant baseball coach called me, who's now the head coach there. And he said, hey, we need a color commentator for our men's and women's basketball program. You've been a part of this school for two years. We'd love for you to do it. So that led to me to this day still um, working men's and women's basketball as the color commentator for St. Thomas Aquinas College. And in 2018, I got a phone call from their baseball coach, Scott Muscat, and their assistant coach, John Garvey. And those were the guys that coached me. And they said, hey, we want you to come be a part of our program. My head coach, there's a lot of connections here, at the College of Mount St. Vincent at the time, is a Hall of Famer at St. Thomas Aquinas College. Mm. So those worlds had kind of already connected between me and John, who was my boss at College of Mount St. Vincent, and John and um, Scott, who were my coaches and then going to be my bosses at St. Thomas Aquinas. So obviously pay raises are important, but for me, the the cool thing really was the fact that I got to be at my alma mater. I got to go to another level. So I was now at the junior college level, the D3 level, and now I'm going to the NCAA division two level, which meant I had played at two different levels. And now I was going to be coaching at my third, if you included professional baseball, my fourth level. So for me, the, the stars aligned and it just felt like the right move for me at the time. And I took it. I love it, man. Yeah, just being able to coach at your alma mater, as you said, like, yeah, pay raise is cool, but you'll make money. We're not worried about that. You always make more money. The fact that you can then go back and kind of now you're the mentor to the people that you used to be right. And having that extra added effect, as you said, and then also it's kind of cool. You're you're just climbing the ranks, right? Like this is how it works in baseball. This is how it works in coaching. Got to start low. You got to pay your dues. And that's how you kind of get to the top. So uh, that is fantastic. And so you said you still do the basketball commentating there what like so that's is that has that been the connection to radio essentially because along this way there haven't you know there was those couple stops in radio in the beginning but we haven't really had any in a recent while so has this been kind of that connection that's kind of kept you tethered to that aspect of your life you nailed it that's a hundred percent what it was uh the entire time i said i'll keep my voice on the airwaves somehow and this is the way i'll do it and my partner, Steve Balson and myself, who are still to this day, he's also, again, connections are huge. He's also the PA announcer for the Rockland Boulders Professional Baseball mm-hmm. Organization. So it's all intertwined. And we got really good reviews my first year. And it was like kind of fun to realize that people thought you guys were really good at it. And it was kind of like, well, let's see how this keeps going. And it led to seven straight years. And that was always the connection. And through... That connection through my family, um, I met somebody that was my brother-in-law's brother who wanted to do a podcast. And I said, well, I've been doing the broadcasting for five years. Let me try the podcast realm. And then the rest was history. Mm-hmm. I love It's just, again, just how <laughs> this, this story is kind of weaving itself. This is, uh, I mean, there's, we're going to, we might have to make like a spider web on all these connections and yes. where all these things come and how they go. But now we'll Mike, definitely- imagine asking my parents about how they felt about this journey. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I can, uh, I wish, I wish I had this conversation yesterday. That way my, I could ask your dad all these questions. Maybe I'll just have to bring him back on. That's a great uh, so idea. We could talk about it a little bit more. So uh, do you want to talk about radio next or do you want to talk about Fairleigh Dickinson? I'll let you uh, choose your own adventure. Which one do you want to talk about next? Let's go radio because okay. prior to my start at Fairleigh Dickinson, the radio kind of really took a okay. hit. Perfect. So yeah, let's talk there. I mean, you have the Rome show, you have the podcast, as you just brought up before. What was it like? You know, obviously, as you said, you kept your voice on the air so people could still hear you and you could still keep that energy up. Because yeah, it's a little different when you're talking into a microphone. 
then if you're just sitting down on the couch talking to your girlfriend or, or your parents, maybe not for you. I don't know. Maybe it is for me. But what um, how, what was it like getting back into that chair, seeing that red light go back on and, and having that back and forth and talking, you know, just about sports in general, not really about what's happening in front of you? It was awesome. I was playing in a men's basketball league and my brother-in-law's brother, his name's Anthony, came up to me. He goes, I want to do a podcast. I looked him straight in the eye, Michael. I said, the minute I start this, it's never going to stop because I know that this will eventually be my career. So if you're in, I'm in. So we, we spent about two months messing around. And in that time of messing around, I hit the feeling that you just noted. It was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. I realized why I studied this in college. I realized why I've stayed connected to it. And we recorded our first show on a MacBook computer from, I don't know, maybe 2005. It was like the first one ever Let's made. Let's go. It did. I didn't have a microphone. We didn't have headphones. We literally just talked into the computer microphone and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And that was it. I didn't honestly, Mike, I didn't need anything else. I didn't need anyone to listen. I didn't need anyone to like it. I just knew I had so much fun in that hour of talking about it, that it was something I wanted to continue to do. And that led to two years. It was called the dab podcast D double a B. It started as the double a balls podcast transitioned into dab. And for two years, that we, we docked over like 120 episodes. We turned into uh, two shows a week, Wednesdays for an hour and Fridays for 30 minutes. And it really just kind of continued to fire the love I had for radio inside my stomach and thankfully led to an opportunity at Hamilton Radio where I'm at now. Yeah. And, and how, well, how do you land a gig at a radio station? My, I, I, as I told you, I'm on Sirius XM radio um, on Saturdays right now. It's going to be Saturdays and Sundays when the world comes back to spinning and we can go into the studio. But it's a really weird one for me. How did you, you know, like, was this something you reached out? Did someone hear it and say, hey, you know, we have always wanted someone to talk about double A baseball on our radio station, please. Like, how, how does that opportunity come about? Well, I'm sure this isn't going to surprise you, but it came through my father. He was on a show called Talking Baseball with Sal Angioletti. And Sal, or he was on a show with Sal. Sal hosted a show called Talking mm -hmm. Baseball with Sal Angioletti. My dad, who is my probably my best PR guy, dropped my background to Sal. Sal said, let's have him on the show. I did an hour with Sal on Hamilton Radio at their old studio before they had done any updates, and it was super cool. It almost felt like I was in like an attic radio station, but it was like there was so much energy and passion mm -hmm. in there because it was like this is these guys have they kill it like they get seventy thousand, eighty thousand people to listen to some of their music or ten, ten, twelve thousand to some of their talk radio shows. So they're doing something right here. So I did the show. And Sal asked me back. So I came back for a second show. And as I was walking out, I just simply said to their producer, Gino, I was like, hey, man, like, you got any show openings? And he's like, yeah, actually, we're looking for hosts. And I was like, well, I know you guys don't have like a weekly sports show. Sal's once a month. Long story short, we started negotiating a little bit on what the situation would be. And we started once a month on Mondays from 1 to 2 p.m. in July of 2019. And by, I don't know, maybe it was December of 2019, it turned into uh, 7 p.m. every Monday, Monday nights, and it's a weekly show now. Love it. 7 p.m. right yeah. after the drive time. That's like the one of the most coveted spots in radio, dude. And I thought about it, Mike. I'm like, dude, during football season, this is oh. going to be great because you lead up to Monday night football. So. Mm -hmm. It, listen, I, I tried, I, I really, I tried to manipulate the time so I could get there. And I, and the one to two was fun. Cause I think afternoon drive time is a lot of fun. I really mm -hmm. do. 
But in terms of having a show for the first time ever where people could call in, I'm like, man, like no one's calling in at work time. They might listen on their lunch break or whatever, but they're probably not calling in. So I just tried really hard to be as professional as possible in the one to 2 PM slot as if I was a prime time show mm -hmm. or was going to receive callers. And I think it showed those guys, you know, Ruben Rodriguez, who's my show's producer and Gene Perro, who is the other producer of other shows that, Hey, this kind of kid has something here, but it didn't mean that I couldn't do the podcast anymore. Mm -hmm. So it was a give and take Mike, because as you know, you do something weekly or daily or consistently it's hard to do two things consistently in mm -hmm. the same realm. It's, it's, it's hard to sell that thing in the same, to the same space, to the same people. So it kind of was that gut check moment. Like, okay, this is that next step. Are you going to take it on live radio mm -hmm. or are you going to stick to it on the podcast? Cause you can't handle both. And the podcast was fun. I'm forever grateful for what we did on the podcast. But once I got on the live radio again, another moment, like you talked about before where it clicked and like, it's almost like Christmas morning when you're seven and you're like, Oh my God, this is, this is the present I always wanted. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, I can never give it up. That's awesome, man. Kudos and congratulations to you. I think it is, it is so cool. Just the opportunities that you've been able to earn along the way throughout this journey, throughout this career, throughout this story that, uh, you know, it, it is fantastic. And Hey man, if you ever need, uh, you know, someone to call in, just give me the number, yes. ask you all the questions, whatever you need, man, I am absolutely there. I think for we need you. to be a co-host one day is what I do. Think. Let me come in brother. I'm more all than right. happy to do that. Do not worry. And so uh, last question on that before, well, I, two more questions on that. And the, the second question is going to be an awesome transition into the Fairleigh Dickinson stuff. So what are you talking about right now? You know, as we said, sports aren't on, um, you get an hour a week, you, you got to fill it up. I know there's commercials and stuff. So, you know, 45 minutes, is it a solo show? Um, I guess we'll start with that. And then what do you talk about while really nothing's going on? It is a, so it, it started as a solo show, but it is now a show that I do with my brother. Uh, ah. I, I brought my brother on for fun one day and got so many great reviews that it actually turned into, Hey, you want to co-host? And he does. So it is actually super cool. And people do believe that my brother and I have that thing called like twin telepathy where mm -hmm. you kind of know where each other's thinking. So it results in a lot of fun. It really does. And some good arguments because as brothers, you're never going to let to shut each other down. You always want to win that argument. So that was that. And then in terms of what we're talking about, we actually came up with an idea um, I give credit to some of my former players who are alumni now of FDU and their buddies. We did a March Madness style 68 team tournament for the best sports movies of all time. Ooh. It was called Rome Show Movie Madness. We started it at the end of March. We gave out a first, a second, and a third pace prize all in Rome Show apparel. And we did, everyone filled out a bracket. We had over 50 people submit. They filled out a bracket. I kept a, a running scoreboard. Each round had different points associated with it. And the idea was it wasn't choosing the best movie that you believed. Mm -hmm. It was taking it like March Madness basketball and saying, yeah, Kentucky might be the number one team in the nation, but I believe this number four Gonzaga team is going to beat them. So I'm going to pick Gonzaga over them. So that lasted about five weeks. And that was super awesome because it, it gave a lot of content to the show, but it also brought a lot of fan interaction, which was gigantic. But when that ended, which was probably about three weeks, three or four mm -hmm. weeks ago, it was that moment of like, what do we talk about now? Oh, my screen turned off. What do yeah. we talk about now? And we got lucky because the NFL draft happened. Mm -hmm. So the NFL draft happened. We talked a lot about that. And then obviously, as everyone loved the last dance with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. So we got on the last dance a lot. We brought in a New York Knicks podcast host so he could come talk about it as well. 
And then finally, um, my brother's a very entertaining cat and I love him and he loves movies and his reviews on movies and television too, specifically are off the charts. So we started rocks reviews and it's something we've kind of turned into like pretty cool where at the end of the show for about 10 minutes, he reviews what he's watching and kind of gives people the reasons why they should watch that show. I love it, man. Hey, yeah. as long as you're, as long as you guys are having fun doing it again, 100%. that's the important part, but learning along the way too, I think is pretty important. And it sounds like you guys have been doing a lot of that. So kudos and congratulations to you there. And, and within that, you know, as I said, the second, the second question is going to be more of a segment or a, a, a segue with this show, something you want to do for the rest of your life. Sounds like, you know, be on the radio. You're there once a week right now, uh, Mondays, seven to eight, correct? Yes. So baseball is a sport that's essentially every day. There's no off days in baseball and you are the assistant baseball coach, recruiting, co recruiting coordinator and sports information director at Fairleigh Dickinson university. Taking one night a week off is kind of difficult. So how, how does that work into your schedule? And I guess, was that a stipulation when you got hired there, which I FDU is a division one level, right? So we have two campuses. I am on the Division Three campus. Okay. We have a Division One campus in Teaneck and a Division Three campus in Florham. And to answer your question, it actually was a part of the transition. So my our head coach is a good buddy of mine. We've known each other since I worked at Zone Sports Academy. Mm -hmm. So coming into him wanting to hire me at FDU, he knew that radio and podcasting was in my background. He's actually been an interviewee on a few of my shows. Mm -hmm. So that was, he knew it. He was okay with it. Also part of the stipulation was I wanted to get my master's. So the school is, is paying for my master's as well, which I'm super fortunate for. When I got hired as the SID in November, part of the reason why I was considered for the position was because of the radio and what our athletic director believed was a strong suit of mine, which was public relations for my radio show and for my broadcasting career. And she actually spoke with me and still does often about the show. She's been a guest on the show and her support of the show. And I think that when they showed that to me, I felt like, okay, I can make this work. And then on top of that, I tried to be a little smart. We historically don't play games on Mondays. So uh -huh. as a sports information director and the show was moving to a Monday evening, I'm like, well, I don't have to work any games on Mondays. If there is, it's one game a year. And as you know, it's as common as anything for certain times out of the year, a radio show host to not be hosting their live mm -hmm. radio show. Mm -hmm. So all the stars kind of align, which is why I'm at Fairleigh Dickinson, to be completely honest with you, because you know you don't really think about it. He was at his alma mater for one year. He was so excited to go to his alma mater. Why did he leave? Well, I left because I knew that this school would give me the opportunities I was looking for in every aspect of my life. And that simply has been the case. And our director of athletics, Jen Noon, is 100% the reason I have, I thank her all the time because she allows me to do it. And so that long-winded answer to your question is without their support, I probably couldn't do it, Michael. But because they support it, I'm allowed to on Mondays mm -hmm. because I, I have to drive an hour south to go to the radio station. I am allowed on Mondays to leave at 4 p.m. to beat traffic and get down there because Coach Noon knows two things. I'm going to get my job done, even if it means I got to get there earlier or stay later on other days. But B... She also sees how important it is for the athletic department because you might go put this on LinkedIn or spread this wherever. I have the FDU logo on. We have the FDU logo in the background. And it's only beneficial for the students, the athletic programs, and myself as the sports information director who controls those 19 sports. So it's like the perfect storm. I'm super fortunate and I'm super lucky that I have bosses and I have people in my corner that are willing to support it. 
I will agree with you on fortunate. I will disagree with you on lucky. You have clearly put in a significant <laughs> amount of work to get here. I appreciate and it. A lot of smarts too, as you said, to kind of swindle is a bad word to use. Um, Manipulate? Manip- <laughs> oh, that's also kind of a bad word. Maybe <laughs> you did a great job at figuring out the situation and getting yeah. exactly what you wanted and, and how you wanted to do it while helping others along the way. There we go. I'm sure I there's like a word that. for that somewhere in like German, but we'll <laughs> rock with it here. And Man, this has been absolutely fantastic. Everything that you're doing. And I guess, you know, last question about, you know, baseball and everything. And I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, obviously being a fan of the minor leagues and everything. And now we're kind of seeing, I think yesterday, I got a million notifications to my phone that all these minor leaguers are getting let go, unfortunately, because there's probably not going to be a season. And then MLB is going to shrink the minor league system, which just sucks. But being on the college side of that, I also am assuming most spring sports, if not already, have... I'm assuming they're they're done. I mean, we're already in June at this point. What have you been doing for the last couple months? And I guess how, what is it looking like to get ready for the following season, which I think and assume you'll be a, a have a, a big hand and a big part in as well. It has been super crazy. So, because normally what we're doing right now is we're getting geared up for our biggest recruiting time of the year. Mm-hmm. So to give you an example, the summer of 2019, Fairleigh Dickinson University Florham was signed up for 70 plus recruiting dates over the course Mm -hmm. of June 1st to September 1st. As the recruiting coordinator, I covered something like 50 or 51 of those dates, partly because I need to, it's my job. And partly because yes, we are compensated at a lot of those events, thankfully, because the baseball demand is huge. So the last few months, what we've been doing is trying to remain normal in terms of the recruiting calendar and, and do what we normally do, which is get that time frame set up so that from June 1st, which is next week, till September 1st, we're set up. Now, in, in today's current climate, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. So what we've tried to do is we've tried to readjust the way we go about recruiting. Okay, let's do some weekly phone calls that might have not necessarily need to happen because the kid was on campus or he came to visit us and we got everything done in that one shot. Well, now it's not as easy. So we want to make sure we communicate with those kids. The other thing we've had to do, which has been super difficult, is identify the age of our current roster. Kids were granted the opportunity to to regain a year worth of eligibility. So that means that instead of losing maybe eight or nine players next year, we might only lose two or three. And that changes our recruiting class significantly. So we've had to then identify, okay, what positions do we need? What positions don't we need? Some extracurricular activity. We do exit meetings with our players, uh, one-on-ones to make sure they understand what we expect out of them. We're preparing their summer off-season strength and conditioning program. I, as you probably can imagine, love social media. So I put out videos of our players. I put out one today. It's called Friday Fielders. Just some infield drills that we do. It helps get my personal baseball brand out there, but at the same time helps get our program out there. So different stuff like that from the baseball realm. And then from the sports information director realm, anything and everything that you can imagine that's going to keep the positive PR out there about what Fairleigh Dickinson University Florham Athletics is all about, how we can highlight our student athletes, how we can give the seniors that lost their senior year their just due and just give them the, the love that they deserve to get on senior day or that they deserve to get their full last year or senior year. So that's kind of been the last few months. And some days, Mike, it's crazy, man. And it's kind of funny because you're like, well, how is it crazy? Sports aren't even in session. Mm-hmm. Well, it's crazy because as a sports information director, you can never stop PR in your programs. And as a recruiting coordinator, you can never stop PR in your programs. So in both jobs that I do at the school, it tends to line up in parallels, which does make things easy because I can transfer the ideas from mm-hmm. both. But it does make it busy sometimes because – as you know, if you want to build that brand in any type of brand, you have to pump it out every single day. So 
Um, it's been fun though to learn the creativity that I do have. It's also been difficult to learn the creativity I don't have and try and find those areas of improvement. Coolest part about creativity, the more you use it, the more you gain, man. And it Absolutely. sounds like, again, you know, you have this PR machine running, you're, you know, SID, uh, recruiting director. And oh, by the way, come check me out on Mondays <laughs> at seven o'clock on the radio. And we can maybe chit chat a little bit. So tell us, um, radio station, I'm up here in New Jersey. So if anybody's listening um, and, and social handles, they can find you at. Absolutely. So the radio station's Hamilton Radio. You go to hamiltonradio.net and we're channel two whenever you want to listen to the show. You can also listen on facebook.com either at Andrew Romanella or at The Rome Show. We, we offer it on, on both spots. Social media handles, I keep it simple and it's not going to surprise you. At Coach Romo 24, that's Coach, then R O M O 24, like the quarterback. Uh, that is my nickname. I don't get called Andrew often. And most people in my um, sports world know me as Romo. So it's Coach Romo24 on Instagram and on Twitter. I promise you I will never call you Romo. I'm a giant <laughs> fan, and I'll keep it that way, brother. But thank you so much, Andrew. This was absolutely fantastic. Sincerely appreciate your time today, man. Thank you so much, Mike. This has been a blast, and I fully expect you to be on the Rome show as well. Can't wait, brother. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of For the Love of Sports with Andrew Romanella. As I said, just absolutely Fun, fun conversation. Hopefully, I'll be able to join Andrew on one of his radio shows soon. We could do a little radio crossover. Those are always fun. But now, sincerely, he was an absolute blast. Very grateful for for who he is, what he does, and, and, and our relationship moving forward. Please make sure to follow him on all of his socials. Everything's in the show notes. Make sure to follow me on some of my socials. Those will be in the show notes. Please also make sure to give the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, anywhere that you're listening a review, a follow, a subscribe, whatever. Share it with your friends. Tell them about it. That'd be pretty great, too. I sincerely do appreciate your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So I thank you for giving me some of yours and I hope you make it a wonderful day.